What is crackalacking, fellow thermonuclear efforts? I am Dance Valley coming at you with my certified fantabulous co-host, Grant Hughes. We are on to the Eastern Conference mailbag that we promised you. Before we get started, my usual reminder slash please. Um, the best way to support this podcast is to, one, subscribe to it across every platform, your podcast player and YouTube if you haven't already. Like, comment on YouTube, tell the algorithm love us back, and to recommend us to people if you've done all those things. Shout us out on Twitter, retweet our promos. If you do recommend us to someone and they take you up on us, let us know. We like hearing that. Compliments are always good to hear. Join our Discord. That is the other way that you can best help continue to grow the community. Uh, the link to that is in the podcast and YouTube descriptions as well. And follow our social handles at Hardwood Knox on TikTok and Twitter and YouTube at Hardwood underscore Knox on Instagram. We do post native content just to those social channels. So quick clips um, as well from, from these longer podcasts. With the housekeeping notes out of the way in under a minute, we asked the question everyone's actually dying to know the answer to. Grant, how the heck are you doing? Uh, like Yuta Watanabe reacting to a Kyrie Irving tip dunk. I am delighted to be here. Have you seen that? Did you see his reaction to it? Yeah, that was incredible. <laughs> I was just, it's like, you don't always get like genuine unfettered emotion in life. And so when you see it, like, and Watanabe is kind of like a darling right now, everybody, like his approval rating is like 150%. Uh, and to see him just like hands on head, just like giddy after Kyrie's tip dunk against, uh, I can't even remember who it was against the other day. It was, that's great. That's, that's like my favorite thing is just seeing somebody over the moon about like a silly play. Look, the vibes coming out of the nets right now are just uncomfortably sanguine mm-hmm. and it's, um, it's making me, it's unsettling me. It, it is unsettling. Out. We'll, we'll talk about them. Um, but we are going to get to some Eastern conference mailbag questions. As you said, as promised, we will always deliver um and i have the atlanta hawks first if we're ready to go let's dive in right yeah let's kind of i'm gonna belly flop in i think belly flop i'm gonna jackknife jackknife's an underrated (laughs) uh, entry technique um so this is from crabtree what is the hawks two to three year ceiling and so i i guess like this is a ceiling i always think of as you know if everything breaks right or almost everything breaks right like how good is this team um to me, it's conference finalist, which is kind of like it feels like I'm punting because they actually have been a conference finalist, essentially with this core. Um, it's so it's not the highest bar, but like to get beyond that, to me, or even to get there, because I think now in hindsight, most people would agree that that run to to the 21 conference finals was, you know, it, it seems hard to imagine. It's hard to believe that happened. The path wasn't that difficult, and and just you know a lot broke right. So that's kind of what we're dealing with. Um, but just to flash forward to now, this version of the Hawks is one in five over the last two weeks. They can't score still. They're 22nd in offense. Their defense has been better than their offense this year, which is like, I guess that's glass half full, but it's also just what's going on. There's just not enough shooting. So their full season numbers are roughly where they are, even though the record is really rough over the last, you know, two weeks, last, you know, 10 days or so. Um, Mm. I just think, if you look at the short term of this team, it's kind of locked in because basically everybody's under contract next year other than Bogdanovich has an $18 million player option, which I assume he'll opt out because he can do you know at least as well over a multi-year deal. The Holiday Brothers are going to be free agents. What's it going to cost to get off John Collins? Like, should it cost anything? We've talked about this a lot. Just I'm trying to think of He's ways. He's not that the wanting multiple picks for him. Did you see that report? Just like, no. Utah wants I just, first round picks to take on John Collins. 
that that's that's never going to not be wild to me even though he's shooting like 20% from 3 and and it's rough it's bad it looks bad right now but i just can't get over you know his age 23 or 22 season whichever it was you know 2010 40% from 3 he played great defense in that 21 conference finals run like he was a valuable playoff contributor but so zooming back out you could talk me into if everything broke right like collins figures it out young starts making shots uh you know DeAndre Hunter is not a massive disappointment. They bring back Bogdanovich. The next two, three years, you could talk me into them being better than almost anyone in the East than Bo- other than Boston, just because Boston's mm-hmm. locked in. It has a ton of talent. Like maybe things go bad with the Bucks. You know, Middleton doesn't re-sign. Holiday gets older. Something falls apart there. Brooklyn's combustible, obviously. Philly, you know, maybe Embiid asks for a trade because we're dealing with a three-year window. So there's a lot on the table. I can't get past Boston. I just They're just not going to be better than them, I don't think. So yeah, that's about as high as I can go. And the downside I would add before I, you know, ask your thoughts are like the downside is this team is rebuilding within like the next 18 months. And like that includes Trey Young being traded. That includes Collins being gone. That includes trying to get picks back that you gave up for DeJounte Murray. So the downside is, is I don't know how, how steep that gets, but you know, to me, it's more plausible. We're talking about the Hawks starting over in a three-year window than we're talking about them as like making the finals. I would agree with you on the overarching sentiment here, which is that it's more likely they're starting over in the next three years than not. And even if it, that's a recalibration around Trey Young, like I'm not even saying it's new, you know, trade Trey, but it could be because at that point in the next three years, you're talking about his third contract. Like we're nearing the end of his, his second I don't know what the pathway to this team to getting better is like, they should not have made the Kevin Herter trade. That's pretty clear. They've nuked John Collins trade value. And I just, I honestly don't know when you look at them, what is their biggest need? It feels like they have biggest needs. And that's like a major problem when you're not a team that seems like it wants to spend, has a bunch of assets or even is particularly flexible moving forward. And so like, I've tried to think of in an ideal world, I try to look at it this way. What would be the one player, non-superstar, that you could target that would significantly drum up their current ceiling? And I, I've been unable to identify that player. I think, and I don't. This is a cliche, but I was like, if it was OG Ananobi, maybe. Right. Like, does he provide just enough shooting and shot creation to go along with the defense, where you're alleviating the burden on even DeAndre Hunter, where Dejounte Murray has helped there? But I just, I like, and that's even still dependent on. Well, you would need Bogdanovich to stay in that situation they feel like they are two or three players away from being a routine contender in the East. And there's also the thing that I can't escape here is yes, maybe Nate McMillan isn't the ideal coach here. The shot profile is outmoded. I think a lot of that has to do with their personnel. Frankly, when you look at where Trey and DeJounte Murray like to, to operate, but also, okay. Improve the coaching. Is there something here with Trey young and like behind the scenes locker room issues? I don't want to overblow it. And like the Hawks have come out pretty forcefully and said, you know, the Shams reporting is like, what did they call it? BS basically, which is mm-hmm. like, I trust Shams reporting on it. Whether it was, there was actually substance there or things we, we didn't know already. That's a different story, but like there's, there's been enough smoke here for there to be fire for a while. And the fact that the report, I don't even think this was from Shams came out that players in the locker room would have sided with McMillan over Trey in this scenario. If that's even a, like there's an iota of truth to that, that's a real problem. And the other thing is just, which might set them back because we've seen they've had other changes aside from Travis Slank stepping down. We know that Landry Fields reportedly is more motivated than ever to trade Collins. Why did you let Slank go through the offseason? 
Like he was the one that makes the Murray trade, extends DeAndre Hunter, goes through your draft, goes through the free agency, betrays Kevin Herter. Unless Landry Fields was the final say on that, like what? Like now he's gone in the middle of the season and you're sort of changing regimes. I just, I don't understand the logic here. And so I don't mean to be all doom and gloom with the Hawks. They have a lot of talent. I'm with you in the sense though, and maybe you have better ideas on how to fix them or what they need. I'm with you in the sense though, that over the next three years, their ceiling, it's conference finalist, which is, that's fine, mm-hmm. but it's more likely, not that they don't make it. That's always more likely. It's more likely that we're talking about a full-on teardown over the next three years than them being a conference finalist again. Yeah, and I think, so part of the problem is, you know, what the Hawks need is the guy, the version of DeAndre Hunter that they thought was worth $90 million. That's like one thing. And then I think, you know, optimized, you, you and, and Capella hasn't been playing, but a Kongwu in the middle as a as just like a defensive, you know, game wrecker. I think that solves a few things. Young not shooting 31% from three. I feel like I've mentioned that almost like every time we talk about the Hawks, like how much different does the season look if he's at 38%? But to me, you mentioned it, the and, and you don't want to overblow stuff like this, but I just have and, and and no good point has ever started with. I just have this feeling, but I just have this feeling that the Trey Young stuff is real. And, and some of that is the reporting. And some of that is just the idea that I really don't, I can, I can totally understand why he wouldn't be someone that guys like playing with both. It's some of it's the heliocentrism, but he's a great passer. So there's like, well, that offsets, you know, the fact that he's always got the ball, but then there's also just like, what makes Trey Young great outside of the, the, the range shooting, the great passing, the floaters, the craft, all that stuff. A lot of it's just the chip on the shoulder. Like he's really like defiant, like super confident, like loves to kind of rile things up type of player. And that just might not be the kind of guy that is a great teammate. Like, I don't know. I wouldn't say that if there weren't reports about the team, you know, if it's me or him, we're going with McMillan. And that's just, that just factors into it. So as almost as much as anything, I have some skepticism about the Hawks, you know, mid and long-term ceiling and future just because i totally it it would never it would the farthest thing from being shocked if it turns out that young is just a tough guy to be around and play with and everybody else on that team collins you know there's been it's been debunked and then bunked and rebunked over and over that collins and young haven't seen eye to eye so it just feels like that's a factor that can't be ignored when you're talking about well which direction is the arrow going for this team AJ Griffin was a nice find. That's yeah. a block. Can I yeah. very quickly, can I play with within the next year? I want to play a round of keeper trade with you for Atlanta. I'm just going to go through some of their players and I don't even want an explanation. I just want to know keeper trade on these guys. Trey Young. Before, trade. let's say before the 2024 trade deadline is what we'll use. Trey Young. Trade. Well, <laughs> DeJounte <laughs> Murray. Keep. Bogdan Bogdanovich, going to be a free agent this year. Yeah, I'd keep him. DeAndre Hunter. Trade. John Collins. <laughs> keep, damn it. No, they're going to trade him. But I would keep him. Clint Capella. Trade. Onyeko Kongu. Keep. And AJ Griffin. Oh, keep. All right, so we traded we half the rotation, basically. You're starting over. Yeah. yeah. You did say keep DeJounte Murray, though. Yeah, I think I can. I don't like a scenario where he's your best player. I just think he makes. I still think the logic of pairing him with young works on paper. And I think if you had, 
if, if he's a guy that is a secondary, you know, even he works fine as a primary creator if there's just enough shooting around him. I mean, he was an all-star in San Antonio with, with you know, middling shooting. I, I don't think it's that hard. He's almost easier to integrate than someone like Young, but just that's as much personality as anything. I don't know. Um, and that's assuming you don't have to max Hunter, uh, max Murray out. That's that would like it all depends on what you're gonna have to pay him on his next deal. That gets into an I don't want to spend more time on the talk, but that gets into an overarching discussion. Like when he reaches free agency, I think that free agency is gonna look maybe not vastly different, but I think it's gonna be a little bit more competitive where we've seen a lot of players just sign contracts with their team and move later. I think there might be more player movement on the horizon, so you might need to max him to yeah, keep him. That's a scary thought. I don't feel great about that. Let's move on to the Boston Celtics, who are my team. Shout out Grant, by the way, for labeling these so that we didn't get... Last time, I figured it out before we went live, but I did research on like four or five teams because I, I fucked up the order. There was no, at least not that I know of, maybe we'll find out now. There was no mess ups this time, thanks to him. Uh, the two guest bastard, how good is the Celtics offense and is it as dependent on three-point shooting as it seems with the first 20 games due to unsustainably high three-point percentages or are the last 10 or so due to unsustainably low ones? And so some background on this. So the Celtics start the season 21 and five. This is how I broke it down for them. They were first in offense, 121.7 offensive rating. Their effective field goal percentage of 59.6 was first. Uh, by a country mile, basically, Denver was second at 58. Over their last 12 games, they're 26th in offense at a 112 offensive rating. Their effective field goal percentage has dropped by more than seven points to 51.6. That is 27th. So they're in the bottom five of both offensive rating um, and effective field goal percentage. They're shooting from three during the 21 and five stretch, 40.8% um, across the board, both in the corners and above the break. That led the league. Uh, by a comfortable, not really Denver shot the three ball well during that stretch, but 40.8%. That ranked first in the league. Over their last 12 games, they are 30th at 30.5% on threes, including under 30% from above the break. They, to break this down one final time, during their 21 and five stretch, they shot 43.6% on wide open threes. During this stretch, they were shooting 31.3% on wide open threes. This is with wide open threes accounting for basically the same share of their total shot attempts. And so that hasn't changed at all. That leads me to believe that we're just simply experiencing peaks and valleys right now, and there will be a middle ground. And when you look at this stretch, uh, their highest volume three-point shooters are, and this is in order of their attempts per game, Jalen Brown, 31.8%, Jason Tatum, 30.9%, Marcus Smart, 30.5%, Al Horford, 39.6%. Dude's a god. Malcolm Brogdon, 28.9%. Derek White, 22.2%. Sam Hauser, 28.9%. And so you're looking at their seven, their top seven in terms of volume three-point shooters, all being demonstratively below the league average. Not just, not just what they were shooting before, their league average. When you look at those names, Tatum, Brown, Brogdon, Sam Hauser for sure, there's going to be some progression to a mean now. Do I think that Boston's offense was too reliant on threes? I don't because their three-point attempt rate was never astronomically high. It's always hovered around like 10, 12 for the season. And even now, you know, as they're, as they're um, bricklaying, it is currently at uh, their, their third. So like, yes, it's up there in three-point attempt rate. Um, could you pull back from that? It seems like they've got away from driving and dribble penetration a little bit. They were doing Jason Tatum specifically 
a good job of getting more to the foul line. Yes, you can get back to some of that. I don't think, did they have one of the five best offenses in NBA history? I thought on paper that was probably always fluky. Uh, and a lot of it did have to do with the three-point shooting. I'm not worried about their offense long-term. I think there's an, enough varying layers here to where they'll figure it out. And also they've had to reintegrate Robert Williams III during this stretch. And that changes the the geometry of your floor. And that's something that they're going to have to get used to. Uh, what do I, th- like, you know, we've seen the extremes, bottom five offense versus the best offense in the league. I probably think they should still be settle into, not even just for the year, because we know the first 26 games will skew that, but they should be a top 10 to 12 offense. Like that 12 feels like almost their floor just because of the level of individual shot makers and creators that they have. And so, no, I'm not worried if your if their path to winning the title was, oh, they're, they're, you know, one of the five best defense and five best offenses. I think it's fair to question whether they fall under that umbrella, but I don't view anything here as sinister that they need to make some type of move at the trade deadline. They have a nice little tidy trade exception to be good if they could do something with it or are willing to pay um, the luxury tax, uh, you know, penalties for, for using it. That being said, this is still, they are probably, this, honestly, look, they're probably the safest bet to come out of the East. When you look at what's happening in Milwaukee, we'll get to them. Brooklyn, you just, we'll get to them too. But I mean, why are you going to trust Brooklyn? Philly's tearing it up right now. Like what is Miami going through? They've gotten a little bit better. So I would say Boston's probably the safest bet in the East. And that hasn't, I didn't pick them to come out of the East. I picked the Bucks, and I'll stick to it. But I, that, this hasn't moved me in the direction of panic. I don't know about you. No, I, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. I think if the, the short answer to the question of, of how good is the Celtics offense is, is it's good enough. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be <laughs> great. Like it's good enough now. And I think specifically with a team like this, there aren't a lot of teams that I give this kind of leeway to, but you know, they were in the finals, they've made deep playoff runs. They, you know, they look totally likely to do that again. I kind of am more interested in the highs and like the stretches where they're playing really great than I'm concerned by the lows, which, you know, there's just been a ton of variance. We're all, we're trafficking in small samples, you know, for cutting the season up into 10 and 15 game increments even. So it's like, I just value now the shooting to start the season was totally unsustainable. It was just, everybody was shooting 40, whatever percent on good. 44% of wide open threes is just like next level stuff. Yeah. It's just, that was never going to last, but I think it's pretty compelling that they did ha- they did sustain that for you know a, what would have been a long chunk of the a playoff run, and that's all it really takes. Like if you have the capacity, if you have the shooters, and I think Boston does have enough like genuinely good shooters to say they could run that hot against playoff competition over a couple series or even more than that for sure. I, I guess it's as likely that they could run cold like they have for other stretches this season. Well, but I, I just like the highs. The highs matter more with a good contender like this. I would say the only really quickly, sorry to interrupt you because I, I rambled for five minutes, was who was the actual outlier throughout that entire stretch was Derek White. And I guess if you want to go Marcus Smart to start, mm. but like we've seen Marcus Smart run hot for an entire season, basically right. from three. Yeah. No, it's just the, the, the overarching thing is when you're talking about a team that's as good as the Celtics, I think just when they show that they can hit a really high level, it just matters more than when they slump. Cause I think even internally, it's kind of like, well, we're bulletproof. And then you let your guard down a little bit. And then right. that contributes some along with variance and just randomness and regression of the mean. But that's a factor too, for teams that are this good. I think um, speaking of teams that are this good, uh, the Brooklyn Nets have won. Segue. 
<laughs> so good. The Brooklyn Nets have won a trillion games in a row. Uh, they're the best offense in all the land. They're great at everything. Um, and so this question is from not Grant Hughes at all. Um, come on, get at us, Brooklyn Nets fans, for a question here. Um, this is why I sent out four solicitations in total to our two to our Discord, uh, one from Hardwood Knox's Twitter, one from NBA Math's Twitter. Where are you at? Nets fans and Clippers fans kind of let us down this time. Maybe maybe they just don't care about anything until the playoffs. Um, but Clippers sure as hell don't. Sorry, that's for sure. Yeah. So we talk all the time about how we started the season talking about how like well it's, it already was a tire fire it seemed like and the combustion potential was off the charts. This is the most high variance team in the league. Um, take that off the table for the Nets. Take. Kyrie's going to say or do something crazy. Uh, they're going to try to get Jock Vaughn fired for some reason. Like take all the, like maybe oh another trade. Like take all that off the table. Take all the like, oh, shit, no way this is happening again to this team. So why shouldn't we believe the Nets can make the finals? If we just pretend, and this is kind of like, this is purely a thought exercise. Cause I don't think it's safe to pretend this, that, none of that stuff is going to creep in and kind of derail what's been one of the best runs of any team this season, even though the schedule and hasn't been all that tough, but whatever, like a winning streak like this is still a winning streak like this. So to me, there's just, there's only a couple areas you really look at and and almost all of them can be just over or papered over, overcome by incredible shot making, which this team just has, you know, up and down the roster, particularly Durant Irving, you know, Curry Harris, TJ Warren looks really good to me in limited stints. Um, they're a little small. Nick Claxton has been awesome, but their only other real center that they play is Daron Sharp. And, and, and like, I get it. You want to use Ben Simmons there. If you can, KD can play some center. They're a little small. Like this is a problem for everybody, but like, what do you do with Embiid in a, in a playoff series? That's just, that's really difficult for this team. Even Giannis, I think probably poses a similar problem where there just aren't enough like bulky deterrence inside not the length is there because Durant's long and, and they can play a lot of forwards and wings that that can have some reach but that's an issue it's tied to the defense uh, I think rebounding has been a problem for this team for most of the year so through November they were 21st in offensive rebound rate 14th in defense or no they were dead last in both through November since December during this run started 21st and 14th in offensive and defensive rebound rate respectively that's improved a little that's still probably not good enough i'm wondering if the sorry the ben simmons claxton minutes now working i wonder if that's helped there i haven't looked at the rebounding percentages of those lineups but i'm wondering if that maybe has helped them stabilize a little bit it does and they're a little like the celtics where you know the offense can be good enough everything else can just be good enough and then Durant is unstoppable and Irving can get you 30 on 17 shots. And like, that's just the recipe for winning. Um, so size defense, I guess you could question their shot profile. They're really reliant on just making mid rangers So they're first in effective field goal percentage this year, but they're 29th in location-based effective field goal percentage. But that's the Kyrie KD effect, right? How big a concern is that if you just know that the guys that take the most shots are really good at shots that, you know, theoretically you should not take. It's a little bit like we talk about the Suns, you know, the last couple of years, oh, they're mid-range. Well, it's like if Devin Booker and Chris Paul are taking all your mid-rangers, they're just going to make a disproportionate amount. So I guess the other big one is like how good, how, how useful is Simmons going to be in a playoff series? Yeah. I mean, like he's still, I, I think I read the other day, he hasn't taken a free throw since, or he hasn't made a free throw since November 25th. 
That seems so, problematic. Can he be on the floor at the end of games? I don't know. And he's so valuable to their defense that if you can't play him, then suddenly it's Claxton and like Royce O'Neal's playing the only other guy you'd really trust Durant maybe. So there's a few things, but I just come back to like, if you're telling me that this isn't going to blow up for non-basketball reasons, then we just have to, we just have to view the nets as, as, as dangerous as like literally anybody else. I don't have any other concerns other than the what does Ben Simmons look like in the playoffs and then what's the Kyrie Irving wildcard factor. I honestly don't have anything to add to you. I will say that I think people might be underrating how valuable Nick Claxton is. Mm -hmm. He's probably already the single most switchable actual center in the league. Um, opponents are shooting this year. His rim protection has never been better. Both does that both does that like zero like level stop gap or someone who's coming over as helper or someone who's breaking up plays from behind. They're shooting, and I was looking this up. I'm getting used to a second screen. That's why you see me staring off here. Um, rather than shaking my laptop, my first laptop here, 50.9% against the Claxton at the rim. There have been 38 players who've been tested at least 150 shots at the rim. Only Draymond and Jaden McDaniels have better limiting percentages there. And his offense has been spectacular. I'm not even talking about like rolling, finishing at the basket. He's shooting like 80% at the rim, led the league in field goal percentage last time I checked, but he's hitting like 50% of his hook shots. He's putting the ball on the floor. I posted actually a clip of him because I was watching him. And so I posted some clips of like his more complicated usage. People on Twitter were commenting. They're like, some of these drives, drives, they thought it was Kevin Durant. That's a huge swing piece. This is a player they almost traded for a protected first round pick. That's the only thing I have to add is that the only thing that's preventing the Nets from winning a title in my eyes is my own skepticism, which leads me to, this is from not Dan Favalli at all. Can Kevin Durant win the MVP award is it and I guess it's is it fair to hold what happened against him in the discussion and why is the answer yes yeah that's what I was gonna say that that's the question because I don't know how you get over well the MVP is just such a cluster anyway because like what's value you know what's valuable is it on court stuff does only is it offense only do we care about catch-all metric you know, because Durant just excels in so many of those areas. But how do you get past? I'll say this. I don't think voters are going to get past the fact that he really tried more than once to just blow the team up. Um, and I really? guess it's a credit to how great he is that he just came back and is playing at an MVP level. Like, I don't think that's really debatable. But I just don't know how you get past how anyone's going to get past the other stuff. Here's my thing. And I saw... I can't remember which podcast I was listening to. They were commending Durant's leadership, leading this team through the Kyrie Irving stuff, leading this team through his own trade demand, the Steve Nash firing. No, you absolutely can hold it. He might be the most valuable player in the NBA, but the Nets were in lurch. Mm. Does the roster look any different or is it any better if he doesn't make his trade demand? You were the one that wanted the coach fired. And so like you didn't lead this team through anything that you didn't create. Like, and I'm not going to give you bonus points for navigating the Kyrie stuff because first of all, you did it quite poorly if we're being honest. And two, like, I don't want to hear another fucking thing about his love of basketball. That is awesome. Kevin Durant is an underdog. When you look at his life trajectory, everyone, like if if there are people in like not this league isn't filled with Andrew Bynum's who are only playing because like they make a lot of money and that was their best, um, you know, occupational option. I don't even know how to phrase that. Ever, these players love the game. That's why they're here. That's why they're at the level. That's why most of them invest time in their craft. It's that. It's the money. It might be the famous celebrities, a combination of everything. Kevin Durant oh, is not like on some. Is not some higher power. You think Kevin Durant loves the game less than Steph Curry? Like I just 
you think Kevin Durant loves the game less than LeBron James for the love of, and that's why LeBron's Lakers have fallen apart. He doesn't love the game enough. Maybe at this stage in his career, he doesn't. I don't want to fucking hear it. Like if he, he's so love of the game that he wanted to be traded from Brooklyn, have his coach and general manager fired. No, I'm just, that is, and I think, and I'm part of this and I want to, and it'll, I'll try and I'll be remedying some in my next MVP ladder. I have artifacts. I don't know if it's artificially. I've held him back in the MVP discussion because of this, where it's like he should probably be one, two, or three at worst based on the body of work from him, the minutes that he played, especially at the start of the year. I just think that if if we're going to talk about teams, like if wins and losses are a player stat because the player has to come from this really good team, you know what? A player has to prove to me that he's not trying to submarine that team. Well, it's like if if a pilot of a commercial airliner like sees a couple clouds and says i don't like those clouds i'm gonna fly into the middle of this category five hurricane (laughs) and then somehow like makes it out like everyone thinks we're all dead on this plane and he makes it out do you applaud the pilot like is that are we is like doesn't the first thing matter as much as the second thing like you it's just these just the self-created problem that you manage to navigate just like don't start the problem like it's, that, I don't that matters. Remember, I don't. It's it's also like I don't remember the show that this came from now. But like I was watching a show way back when, and a, someone set a fire in their school chemistry room. They put it out, and then they got a, an award for putting <laughs> out the fire. And I don't remember what show it was. And like that's that's what Kevin Durant did. Is yeah. he helped? If it wasn't him who set it on fire, he handed like the matches over to other people yeah. to do it for him, and then he put it out. And just I, he's been terrific. He can be your MVP, but let's not pretend that like his love of the game transcended all here. Like, fuck that. Fuck that. Let's keep coming up with analogies. If you jump into the lion cage at the zoo (laughs) and you drag 12 people with you and then you look, Kevin Durant understands his why more than anybody else in the league. That's that's why the Nets are here. Kevin Durant understands his why. I don't know. He might have been. He was clearly right about Steve Nash. But that also kind of goes on him because the Steve Nash get hired without Kevin Durant say well, so. Yeah, let's not be naive. He at least said, "Cool, let's do it." At, at absolute minimum. And know? I don't mean to. Sh- Kevin Durant is one of the ten greatest basketball players of all time. He's Great. probably been wire to wire the best player in the NBA this season. Is he the most valuable player in the NBA this season? Just putting out your own fires count as value? Who's this? <laughs> Are we ready to hop on to my team, which is the the Charlotte Hornets? Um, and we have we had more than one question on the Charlotte Hornets. I appreciate that, Hornets fans. Usher, which duo would you rather see with Wemby? Caden Wemby or LaMelo and Wemby? I chose just the duo to make it more interesting because I think Detroit has more young talent than Charlotte. I would rather see oh my god, I'd rather see LaMelo and Wemby. Let's just get this dude some fucking help. I think Cade. And then having Jaden Ivey, Killian Hayes, and Wemby and that core in Detroit would be objectively better right out of the gate. But also, like, I want Wemby to get as much opportunity as possible on the ball. And if you have Jaden and Killian and Cade, but especially Cade and um, Jaden, how, like, does that limit his development? Also, Jalen Duran is there too. Like, him and Isaiah Stewart aren't guys that are going to clog up the pipeline for Wemby, but it is part of the equation. So give me LaMelo and Wemby, and then Wemby's just automatically your second option. And let's just let, let, let's see him cook on Charlotte and give some hope to the Hornets franchise in general, which I think is the most hopeless team in the league. We, we named them the most hopeless team in the league, but also just that's, it kind of 
I want to see players. I don't want to get into the talk of, well, what's LaMelo going to do next after he signs this extension? I want to just envision him being there because I like when organizations, unless they just so blatantly run them out of town, which the Hornets just <laughs> might be doing at this point. Um, I want to see LaMelo stay there. I want to see all these, like, I want to see smaller markets have, have their why, have their core. And Wemby and LaMelo would just be so much fun to me. I don't know where you landed on this. No, it's, it's LaMelo 100%. And it's like, yeah, the, the, the Hornets need Wimbanyama the most, but they kind of deserve him the least. So that's a good way to put it. Some, some part of me is, is hesitant, but just like, I think, I think LaMelo is full stop one of the best passers in the league. And there's just not a lot of places to put the ball for him on this team. And just like, well, let's bring in the guy with the widest catch radius of all time. Like, what, imagine <laughs> the lobs, imagine, you know, and I think too, if there's anything to worry about with Wimbanyama, it's that he can do, he'll be able to do so much as a rookie just based on, you know, it's going to be hard to tell him not to take tough threes just, or, or just really go into his bag because I mean, he, he's going to rightfully believe he can do that stuff, but I think it will help a lot if there's someone on his team, that's just a high level thinker, distributor, passer, just because maybe the, you know, four or five easy buckets he would get from LaMelo, not that Cade is, you know, any, you know, is, is incapable of that kind of stuff, but LaMelo is just a dynamic facilitator of like cool shit. So I think, <laughs> I think having Wimbanyama get easy stuff will be helpful and maybe prevent him from, you know, falling into the, the crowd pleasing trap or the, like, I'm just going to do this myself. I, I, I think I think aesthetically and I think for his development, probably playing with LaMelo is better. Charlotte also, as much as their roster is just like, meh, they mm -hmm. can carve out better spacing, I would think, around, so let's say Mark Williams, LaMelo, and, and uh, Wemby. You would have Terry Rozier just to get up shots and volume there. And then if Hayward is healthy for some reason next season. <laughs> uh, so where it's Detroit, it's like Jaden Ivey such a question mark there, then playing him with Durin, and because Ivey's so ball-dominant, where Terry Rozier is not. And I would also... Although Wemby Duran is the more intriguing front court mm -hmm. pairing, Mark Williams and Wemby could do some awesome shit together too. Next Hornets question comes from RMM. What are some realistic deals the Hornets can do at the trade deadline? And I'll preface this by saying, I don't think they need to do anything because they're going to be organically bad enough to just be in the, the Wembenyama sweepstakes or Scoot Henderson who had like this. I don't know if you saw the Scoot Henderson dunk on Wednesday yeah. night, uh, Tuesday night. Oh my God. Uh, talk about that is like, I'll take that consolation prize. Yeah. Um, so with Charlotte and I'm not looking to get players that can help me per se this season, I'm looking to load assets up for the future. And I want draft pick flexibility because of the way that I protected the pick that I don't even remember who owns it at this point, uh, because it's been, it's bounced around the league so many times there uh, it's to Denver, but it's like, it's lotto protected the next three years. So this year, 2024 and 2025, uh, I'm looking at just what can I get for guys that I either shouldn't be investing in or won't be here long-term Jalen McDaniel is going to be a free agent. I think you get a second for him. Um, like not a great second, but like a, a second uh, Terry Rozier in the first of a four year extension. That's basically fully guaranteed his partial guarantee on the final year is like 24.8 million of 27. It's just wild. I don't understand what, like, I don't, I just want to know what went into that at all. I don't think you're going to get net positive value for him, but if you just want flexibility to get his money off the books, maybe in a shorter amount of time, the Lakers to me are off the table with Westbrook. They're going nowhere. And Westbrook's been good off the bench. 
Um, but like, what about a team that won't, would they be, would teams be willing to send back expiring money or close to it for Terry Rozier? And so two that I thought of Milwaukee, if you build stuff, if you're the Hornets and willing to facilitate a stepladder trade, Grayson Allen, George Hill salary, uh, you have, uh, like Jordan Wara makes a little bit of money there as well. So like you can get to bringing back, uh, or Joe Ingles, if you want to give him up, obviously you can get to bringing back Terry Rozier. And I think he might help out. I know you don't necessarily want him to dribble a ton, but he might help out Milwaukee's half court offense. The other one I thought about, and I don't know if they would do this Orlando with Terry Rozier. Like maybe they don't want to go the consolidation route. Like you have some just Jonathan Isaac and, uh, Terrence Ross is expiring money for starters and you can flush out other types of deals there. So I would look at, can you get off Terry Rozier's money? Cap space doesn't mean the world in Charlotte. And I do think Rozier is valuable. We just talked about his spacing. This year has been, um, for most of it, a down shooting year for him. But a lot of that was look at the, the burden they placed upon him earlier in the season. I get why you would want to keep him, but you're also not at a stage where it's like, well, we like Terry Rozier at this number for the next three years just doesn't make a ton of sense. So I don't know if you have any, um, I'll throw it to you after I have two more players to talk about, but like Terry Rozier, any teams bring to mind for you or would you just keep him if you're Charlotte? I think the Clippers are another team you might look at just because the beyond, you know, John wall has kind of has faded a little bit. And then you're just kind of looking at Reggie Jackson. I think what the Clippers might say is how much better is Terry Rozier than like a healthier, you know, good version of Reggie Jackson. They're somewhat similar. Um, but a team like that, that just Orlando is a great, a great option just because to get a guard in there that could kind of run things would be would, and shoot it would be, would be final. It, it's, it's really, it's a veteran team. It's a team that is looking to consolidate a little bit. I, the Clippers are the only, I mean, I think you covered it pretty well, but the Clippers are the one that jumped to mind first for me. Clippers are interesting. So it's sort of like, would you prefer Terry Rozier over Marcus Morris and Luke Kennard though? It could be Marcus Morris or Terry Rozier straight up and the Clippers can get away with that. Trade a distant pick to sweeten it. I mean, Morris, I think is someone that, you know, the Clippers just have such a log jam. Oh, I do, if I'm, if I'm Charlotte, I might do that straight up just because there's only one more year of Morris and like yeah. plays that you could play him at the four small ball five. Maybe he's a better alternative than PJ Washington. Who's my next player. Can you get a first for PJ Washington? I don't know which team would do that at this point. Um, maybe Miami. The, I thought about the Pelicans. They're not giving up a first round pick for him after the Zion injury. Phoenix, maybe. Uh, but what can you get for Pete? He's going to be in restricted free agency. Unless you think you're going to keep him for like 12 million a year or something. I, I would argue we never see these teams make these moves, but I would argue it's time to move on. And then finally, Gordon Hay. Oh, uh, PJ Washington. Any PJ Washington teams? Would you keep trade him? What would you do with him? If you could tell, if you told me I could keep him for 12 a year, I'd probably just hold on to him. I just don't know what the market is going to be in restricted free agency for him. Um, Miami's good. I, I just, I, the number it's really for him. Cause he has his uses, right? Like, you know, you lose a little bit when you play him at the five defensively, but he's like fine defensively as a four. Some, most of the time he, he's they don't play him at the five now. At yeah, all. He, he's proven he can shoot it. Um, he's young enough to where you're probably going to get this level or better for the next, you know, three, four or five years. Um, if, if I could keep him at a salary that's like low end starter slash like six, seventh, eighth guy, which is probably 12 to 15. Um, I, I'm, I'm fine with that. I just, I, I just don't know the restrictive free agencies. If you're trading for him, you just have to know you have to, it's gotta be a wink, you know, handshake thing. And that's hard to do when any other team can come in with an offer sheet. Uh, so you, I would probably move him though, if I'm them, because I, I think he ends up costing Grant Williams is going to get fetch a pretty penny. And I think Grant Williams is better. Then PJ Washington make that clear, but that's like sort of a like 
market parallel for him that I think might drum up his number. Maybe we'll be wrong. Uh, his three ball has started to fall a little bit more recently though. So if he can, if he hits those, I think that'll have his markets. Kelly Bray junior injury, unless you're using him to take back bad money at this point. Um, he had surgery when he was kind of putting it off all season. I don't like you could move him, but like if he's actually going to return this season, I don't, you're not getting a first round pick for him anymore. If you ever were Hayward to me, seems immovable with the final year left on his deal after this season. And uh, the fact that he's been so injured, but I did think like, would you, if you're the Hornets, this type of trade you should be thinking about, what would Dallas give you to consolidate long-term salary into Gordon Hayward? And that's Davis Bertans, Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, at this point, maybe it's JaVale McGee is on that list as well. And I don't, if you're demanding a first round pick for that, they probably say hell no, because like, they're not going to trade it. But if you're, if you want like Josh Green or Jaden Hardy, is that something you consider if you're Dallas? Is that too much for you? Would you rather just play this out? Because you kind of divested Kristaps' contract into these two more, like into these more digestible numbers, but Davis Bertans is just such a non-entity for you. So that might be a team that I could see saying, oh, hey, like if Hayward was actually playing and the Heat had the money to get there, they would they would be interesting for him just because of that Duncan Robinson deal. But that's just that's too low level on the deal spectrum. The, the Dallas has two. I know Tim Hardaway Jr. has been better, but his contract, Davis's contract, maybe even if you don't want Spencer Dinwiddie's contract, though I don't necessarily know why you would prefer uh, Hayward over him at this point. Yeah, I, I think I would consider it for Hardy if Hardy's the sweetener and, and going with the bad salary back. Um, I and like Mavs fans just like through darts. Well, I know. Like, I just I, part of it's I really like Josh Green a lot. Um, but the idea of like a healthy ish or as healthy as he ever gets Hayward on the Mavs makes a lot of sense to me. Just, you know, the Mavs have changed a little bit how they played. It's still Luca, you know, almost all the time. But another guy like Hayward really does move the ball well and he's been a good shooter. It's just like, are we, what are we, are we chasing a version of Hayward that's never going to exist again? Like that's a concern. And then, you know, depending on how the Mavs want to time really hunting that real second guy, having Hayward's 31 and a half million on the books next year. Is it more valuable to have, let's say the smaller contracts with Davis McGee and Tim Hardaway jr. To move with, let's say their pick conveys to the Knicks, their best offer and I think it'll pay on comparison to others because they don't have Josh Green, Jane. Like those aren't blue chip prospects, mm-hmm. but are those salaries plus four first and three swaps better than let's say Gordon Hayward's one salary, four first and three. Like it's cleaner with Hayward, but teams might prefer the malleability of just having the the smaller deals. It's just that Hayward's also comes off the books. Right. Whereas Dallas Toms and Tim's Hardaway Juniors do not. Yeah, I think normally you'd want more pieces in the mid-tier salary ranges because it's just easier to do stuff with those. But the fact that, you know, talking about next year, 31 and a half expiring, that's just, that's when you dump on some team with cap space if you need to and and throw a pick in there or you use it as in to aggregate and get like some crazy, you know, giant star that wants out. Like if that's, so if you're, we're getting way away from Charlotte, I guess. Yeah, because we're, we're trying to figure out how to get Hayward Dallas, onto another so team. Dallas wants to package him with something to the Wizards to get Bradley Beal, and the Wizards say, "This is we don't have to pay anybody after this year." Good point. That, that's appealing, uh, but but I, we're we're three we're three trades down the uh, down the pipeline at this point. I'm happy that you have this next team. Yeah, because I didn't so want I, them. I got the Bulls. Um, this is from Everything Blacks. The Bulls situation isn't completely unsalvageable, is it? This year might be lost, but the roster seems closer to needing a few tweaks rather than a full teardown. Disagree. Uh, <laughs> so 
this is a win now roster and you have to call it a win now roster just be, not just because of the age of like DeRozan and Vucevic but because of the pick equity that was given up to sort of put this roster together it's a win now roster that's not winning they're they're, they're okay lately you know they they're four and three in their last seven um they've had worse stretches unsalvageable is a strong term but it applies here because if what you're attempting to salvage is like an eastern conference contender that's just not here um it's more it's not just tweaks it's the principles are not good enough um and the you know the role players are you know secondary they're ancillary to the real problems which is you're paying a bunch of money to players that are supposed to be your best guys and they're just not they're not good enough they don't fit well enough together there's reports that Levine and DeRozan have had friction um players only meeting stuff that's all driven by your best players. Like no ninth man is the one that's saying we got to sit down in the locker room and hash this out. Cause I don't get along with the 12th man. It's not, that's not how it works. So you have, I hope that stuff. happens. I really hope that that happens all the time in the NBA because that's great. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I like are the tweaks that you get, you know, hypothetically Lonzo ball is magically back and he's the connector that's been missing. And the second perimeter defender that's been missing. Maybe, I don't know if that's a tweak at this point, um, you need a defensive anchor. Vucevic ain't that guy. You need Pat Williams to be better. You need him to have a usage rate above like 14%. And you need him, you know, he's shooting 40% from deep, but he just doesn't. It's such a like hack uh, criticism, but like he just doesn't do enough. No, it's, he just, it, there, if you watch him, there are long stretches on both ends of the floor, but you just don't feel him. Right. So, and it's great if you shoot 40% on low volume and you, you can defend, but it's just, that's just, that's not fourth pick stuff, especially, you know, a couple years into the, into the career, even if he's missed time. Um, so I don't feel like tweaks are, are, are the issue. Um, just a couple things, cause this is usually more your territory, but so like, if, if this isn't it, if this is unsalvageable, Levine's the guy that's got to go, it can't, cause he's going to bring you back the most. Um, you can't do it till January 15th. But like, where are the teams that are saying we got to have Zach Levine at that number? Like, just got to. We'll, we're backing up the truck for him. It's like Miami, just because they hunt stars. I don't think Lowry and a pick gets you like anywhere close. You got to throw in more stuff and the Heat just are still a little short on assets. The Clippers, again, just because you can throw Norman Powell and Filler and they can move some distant like 28, 29 firsts like that. I don't know. Uh, Orlando. Definitely needs a guard that can score and they could throw Isaac and Suggs and Bamba and give back that 23 first. Let's have these two teams deal again. And maybe another, like, it's just how many, we'll get to this with the Knicks because I'm going to bring up Levine again, but I just don't know where, I don't know where the, the team is that says we're going to replenish your draft assets and give you, you know, not terrible salary because we got to have Zach Levine and we got to have him at the deadline. So that's, that's ultimately the biggest challenge. And that's like, that's not a tweak. That's a, you know, a fundamental, how do we fix this team question? Yeah. His, and Zach Levine's been a lot better lately too, but his mm -hmm. knees are super concerning. Like you said, the he's younger than Bradley Beal, I think by a year or two, uh, but the con and he's cheaper, but the contract is still like four years out on that as a concern. I think Miami's a smart one. I kind of thought about Brooklyn, build stuff around Ben Simmons and all the picks that you have in your cache now. And if you don't know that Kyrie is going to be there long-term, is that something you look at? Uh, Toronto could use him. I don't know mm -hmm. what they would be willing to give up for him. And does he fit into their project six, nine, whatever they're trying to do. Uh, but you would have to put 
you know, why do the Bulls want Fred Van Fleet in that scenario? Fred Van Fleet in that scenario, you're going to have to probably use OG Ananobi or Scotty Barnes. And I wouldn't trade Scotty Barnes for that. I might not even trade OG Ananobi for him at, at this point. And I think that's what's complicated to me is I think that Zach Levine is still an exceptional player and that the fact that he's been better gives the Bulls hope. And then if you look at the core of DeRozan, Caruso, Lonzo, and Levine next season, like that's that's real. But how are you building upon that now? Vooch has been fine this season. I just don't know that he's the answer in the long term. Like you don't have your own all-in trade package to go anymore. Like the Patrick Williams mysterity is worn off. Ditto with Kobe White. I would assume would be super valuable to someone as for sure. But like you've hamstrung yourself with the amount of picks that you can give up. And so how do you, it's even if the bulls are better than this, which with a healthy Lonzo and Zach Levine playing the way he is now. And if they start beating teams that they should beat rather than just getting up against the good opponents, they should be better than this. But we talk about what's the Hawks ceiling over the next three years. I think the bulls ceiling is lower than the Hawks in part because they're probably even less malleable. When you look at the trade market to buy than Atlanta would be. Yeah, I agree with that. Is that it on Chicago? That's all I got. So that brings us up to Cleveland. Uh, so we have, I should probably loop a few of these. Let's loop this first two together on uh, Donovan Mitchell. Uh, Ippo Uji Flirk asked, when did you realize that Donovan Mitchell is the greatest Cavalier of all time? And Stupid Jerk asked, can we get a heat check on the Donovan Mitchell, um, on whether Donovan Mitchell can or can't be the best player on a championship contender take? Uh, so what's interesting about that is I don't know where either of us landed on whether we thought he could be the best player on a contender leading into the season. I do think we both thought Darius Garland was going to be the Cavs best player this year. And that long-term it would be Evan Mobley. I started to recalibrate a little bit on how obviously Donovan Mitchell has been better than Darius Garland at this point, And he is the best player for what you know, I was listening to the chase down podcast and reaction to his 71 point game. And Justin Rowan friend of the podcast, excellent at what he does said that he didn't really classify the Cavs as like one of those foremost contenders. I might be there for them. And Donovan Mitchell's already their best player. If he can't be, maybe he can't be the best player on a universal contender, but the way that the Cavs are built, he can absolutely be the best player on this version of a title team. He's shooting lights out on off the dribble threes. It'd be nice if they played a little bit faster at points, not, not just in transition, but in the half court, but he's so good at playing off of others as well. And numerous people have said this, and I didn't watch in real time. I took the night off because it was my birthday and I'm, I'm vain as fuck. But going back and watching, like there was nothing inorganic about the 71 points, basically. Like he had, what do you have? 10 assists, 11 assists. And they very much needed Garland wasn't playing. Mobley wasn't playing. So they needed him to have that role, but he is so much more adaptable than I think people gave him credit for in large part because Utah, they had all like these tertiary guys, but they were always either like two middle rung or towards the tail end of their primes in um, Mike Conley, or like I said, a Joe Ingles or a boy Madonovich, like they're ball handling specialists or secondary options when they are another primary. So his adaptability is really shining through here. And yes, it helps that he gives a damn on defense again. So I don't know. I don't know where I landed on the take leading it. I'll probably say that I didn't think he could be the best player on a contender, but I thought he made the Cavs a contender. I will update my take to say, I believe the Cavs are a real threat to come out of the East now. And lo and behold, Donovan Mitchell is their best player. Yeah. I think when we talked about him shortly after the trade, I, I know that I thought that this is a good trade but the version of the Cavs that wins a title has Evan Mobley as their best player. And I'm starting, I mean, 
as I'm trending up on Mitchell as like, yeah, because of what you said, if your other, if your other like secondary players are, have been all-stars and could be all-stars again and are young and are going to develop like that, maybe that gets you away from, we got to have a top five, top 10 guy. If Donovan Mitchell is like the 12th best player in the league, that's maybe enough provided that the Cavs do figure out the small forward spot and just get a big wing that can guard and make threes like that, that to me is still the missing piece, but like, I don't want to take anything away because so much of what we look at in, well, can this guy be the guy on a title winner is when things slow down and you need buckets late in games, like that's a, that's a signature skill. And if you're going to account for 99 points in a game with your 71 points and your 11 assists, like, feel like that question's kind of answered if if you need a bucket Mitchell I think is a is as good an option you know short of the absolute Kevin Durant's Steph Curry's Luca's as about as good as you're going to get in that regard so yeah I I I think are do we need to recalibrate is a fair question but it all sort of to me hinges on the Cavs being still just like one guy away um this next question on the Cavs came from Luke J. 37. I saw Zach Lowe say the Cavs are looking for a short-term wing option via trade. Who is most gettable and who would be the best fit for them? You know, most gettable is like Furkan Korkmaz. So like <laughs> someone like, but so I said, I'm going to do this later on with the Pacers, but can you, will you play who says no with me? I came up with a few Cavs trades. Okay. Karis Levert for Marcus Morris. That's just a good trade. I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't think anybody says no to that because that gives the Clippers their, the, another creator. I think that's valuable. I don't know. It does it get weird with Reggie Jackson, John Wall, a bird on the same team. Like you could maybe probably a little bit, but that's a weak area of weakness. I do think that Morris might be a little big and slow to guard the threes that he would theoretically have to guard, but maybe Mobley makes that fine. And Allen makes that fine. I like that trade. I am um, Karis Levert. And Isaac Okoro and two seconds for Gary Trent Jr. and a contract that Toronto is looking to dump, whether it's Chris Boucher or more likely Kem Birch. I think that the if anybody says no, Toronto, well, that's another Toronto too. two for two. I don't hate either of those because I think Trent gives you some of the shooting and is at least disruptive defensively when he's at his best. A little smaller than I want for that that three. Uh, for the Cavs, but like from Toronto's perspective, you don't know if you're going to have any control over Trent because of that player option. So I think you take back a flyer on a Coro and whatever else you can. I think that makes total sense for them too. Um, this one is Cody Martin has not come back from a knee injury yet. He's appeared in one game this season, but he did just sign uh, a contract basically at the, uh, well, it was less, not basically at the mid level, it was less than the mid level exception. So he's under team control for the next four years, essentially, if you want him at no more than $8.7 million. But again, he's playing one game this season. So Cody Martin for Dylan Windler and Lamar Stevens. And if there's a second round pick that needs to go in there, my gut instinct was Cleveland might say no, because they seem to really like Lamar Stevens, but you can sprinkle in other money. It's not going to be Dean Wade, but like you could get, would you do even, you know, Isaac Okoro for Cody Martin straight up. You could do. Who says no? I mean, I'd rather have Caleb. Can we just make, can we, can we pull some shenanigans and have it be Caleb? He's their only option at the four aside from Jimmy Butler. Now that Jovich is injured. And I guess they have Haywood Highsmith too, but still. Yeah, no, I, 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 Martin's not playing as a, as a factor. And, and I, do they like Lamar Stevens, the Cavs, or is it just like, he's the only guy that we can throw out there. That's just going to guard really hard. I think I would prefer if I were them to just get off Isaac Okoro for Cody Martin. I'm not going to lie. 
Yeah, I think the I think we know what we know all we need to know about Okoro at this point. Uh, I think I have a couple more here. Uh, okay, so would you do Evan Fournier, Cam Reddish, and two seconds for Levert and Dylan Windler? I don't think so. I think the Cavs say no there. Um, Fournier feels like dead money, and like, is it a flyer on Reddish if this is now you know? Let's take a shot on him. He's a, is he a third draft guy now? I don't, I don't know how much stock I could put in Reddish anymore. Would you do Dylan Windler and Isaac Okoro for Gary Harris? Hmm. I think I probably would. I still feel like, I, I think maybe I'm just a little too, uh, too rosy about Gary Harris. Uh, I still think he's Denver Gary Harris that just back cuts really well off Jokic. But I think. I think Orlando says no. I would trade if Orlando would do it. I would do Karis LeVert for Gary Harris. And if they want to include another money in there to match it up, but it works financially. Yeah. I think that does give, because again, we've talked about it a lot. Levert's just kind of superfluous with Mitchell and Garland, and you don't really need that much more. Kind of superfluous with Mark Fultz and Cole Anthony and Powell Bancaro a little bit too, though. A little bit, but I think, don't, I think, I think Levert's probably a better offensive player than Fultz. Uh, but I mean, I mean, not that that's like... <laughs> Maybe not this season. I think Fultz is definitely the better game manager. Oh, for sure, yeah. I guess Levert's just, just a, a six-man to me that, that I wish could shoot a little better. And here is one that I came up with in light of the Devin Booker injury. Landry Shamit and Jay Crowder for Karis Levert. I'm definitely doing that if I'm the Cavs. So I guess, I guess, it's, mm, I guess it's the Sun saying no if I have to pick one. Although, how much better are your offers going to get for Crowder at this point? Like, I just is there are there any offers at all? And I don't know. Landry Shamit's had some higher moments, but I don't know if people want the you know the longer term money that's left on his deal. And like the shooting that Landry Shamit provides would probably actually help Cleveland. Yeah, no, I think that's right. It's certainly more than Le- I mean, Lavert has shot it okay, but I just does anybody? Nobody's afraid of him, you know, catch and shoot. I just I don't see that. Going to cut in here. That'll do it for part one of our Eastern Conference mailbag. Be on the lookout for part two. Um, it'll come out immediately the day after this. It's coming out on a th- the part one's coming out on a uh, Thursday. So the next one will come out on a Friday. As always, please remember to rate, review, subscribe to us wherever you consume us. Subscribe on YouTube. Tell people about us. Join our Discord. Link is in the podcast and YouTube description. Follow us on all the socials at Hardwood Knox on TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube, of course, and then at Hardwood underscore Knox on Instagram. Until next time, and as always, we do the apology to Jared Allen and also shout out to Frank Nielakina.